most wonderful show is Keeping up with the Joneses Hey, Jones Mr. Jones Tell me about your week It was a great week, wasn't it? It was um, a busy week It was a busy week We're back to having busy and great weeks Yes, but that is life for eight months of the year when the school is on Very true um, You spoke at Emanate, didn't you? I did, I continued my theme on, on blessing Yeah, it was really, really good what what else? I'm trying to think. Gosh, it was a full week, wasn't it? Well, it kicked off with Emanate. We weren't teaching at the school this week, which was, oh, well, we did a few bits here and there, but we weren't really teaching. Oh, that's right. That's the right. reason that you can't remember this week was you were constantly looking forward to having our friends stay with us this weekend. That is true. We have uh, friends with us, Krista and Jason Wendell, that we've we've actually mentioned them on the podcast before, haven't we? They're the ones that I wanted to do a spinal tap on. And then try and clone them. Because they're amazing. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're Two of the most remarkable people I've ever met. Very intelligent, very loving, very funny. Very sassy. Very sassy. Keeping me in check with huge amounts of sass. Yes, it's 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 a beautiful thing to behold. <laughs> so yeah, we knew they were coming on uh, Saturday, but of course on Friday was the inauguration. Yeah, so they came, they live in D.C., they came from D.C. Meanwhile, Donald Trump was being... Inaugurated. Is that what it's called? Inaugurated? I, well, I don't know. He was being made the president Sworn of the United in, States. Something like that. And you watched the inauguration, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, it's the first time I've ever watched one. So I watched it, obviously, on the television from Tennessee. Uh, but um, I was pretty impressed with the amount of God stuff that was in the inauguration. I didn't, I didn't get to see it. I was... Where was I Friday? Oh, oh yeah, I was getting our car fixed. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have a new president in the United States. We do. So God bless America. God bless Donald Trump. And we are now... This is the thing. We got When we got to the United States... Uh, George Bush was the president. Oh, yeah. For like a month. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got here December 2008. So we were praying for George Bush. And then when President Obama was inaugurated, we're praying for President Obama. Yep. And we'll be happy to pray for Donald Trump, too. Yep. And, you know, I remember even when Obama came in, you know, for the first time, being with a group of Christians who were super concerned about Obama. You know, and what was this going to mean for our nation? Is the whole place going to fall apart? But I remember the moment that he got elected, this one person who had been like crazy worried about it just said, well, he's now going to be our president. So I begin to pray for him that way. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, You shift the focus of your prayers, don't you? Yeah. It's so clear in scripture that you pray for your leaders. Yeah. And so I'm absolutely happy to pray for my leaders, pray for incredible wisdom. That's got to be the hardest job. Absolutely. I, I would not want it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what's going what's gonna to happen. And I don't mean that in, with any sense of morbid curiosity. No. I am, I'm full-on optimist about what God's going to do for our nation, so I'm yep. excited about that. Yep. Then our friends came, Saturday. Meanwhile, I left, and my friend and I, Brad, we drove to Kentucky. You did. And I did a mini... A mini, what would you call it? Boundaries workshop. Mini boundaries workshop. Yeah. I'm not sure it's the wisest thing to just do boundaries in a few hours. Right. Because it's such a radical... Departure from how most people live. And there's so much information. Yeah. And you don't have a lot of time to unpack it. And so the shortest I've ever done it is in, you know, two days. And at least that gives some time for people to, I think whatever you're learning, if you learn it in a concentrated format, it's it's not ideal. So if you were at that workshop, I hope you're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was great. I just, I love the legacy 
family of churches. They're yeah. just amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It was really joyful to be there. And then it's been nonstop ministry because you were speaking at Grace Center this morning. It's true. But why do you owe Banning Leapshire money? I, I owe Banning Leapshire money because I have plagiarized his message almost in its entirety. Twice. Yes. So I heard him speak in uh, August, I think, or maybe September. And he spoke on the importance of church being family. And it just put into place for me so many things that I couldn't put, quite put my finger on. Why, why does this bother me so much? Or why does this function like that? Why doesn't it work for me? And uh, him putting everything in the context of family made things so much clearer for me. You were just championing that message when you came home. Oh, I was, I was processing it for weeks. I'll put a link in the show notes to his version and your version. There you go. That'll be fun. But it's a it's a great illustration, great teaching. Yeah, amazing. So I just, yeah, I just was like, uh, I need to do this teaching. And we ended up having lunch with him and I asked him if I could steal it. And so he said yes. He was gracious enough. Well, he was really funny because even at the Go conference, you know, Lyle was talking about how one of the first messages he ever spoke, and he spoke it all over the place, was one of Banning's messages that he stole off of, you know, Banning and Banning. When Banning got up, he said, actually, that's a message that I stole off of Bill. So he's like, you know, it's all public property stuff. But um, yeah, it was it was quite fun this morning. So that was our week. Yes. It went by with a blur. It did. Let's talk about our main topic. Let's do that. We're very excited to have a special guest. We're super excited to have a special guest. Mr. Dan Farrelly. Yes. All the way from California. Yes. It's like he walked here or something. That's all amazing. the way from California. Dan Farley, welcome to our podcast. Glad to be here. We're I did not walk here. We're so <laughs> glad that I'm you're tired here. enough to feel like I walked here, but I'm but I'm good. Dan, for those of you who don't know, is one of the associate pastors out at Bethel Church in Redding, California. You're also the dean of students at your fabulous school of supernatural ministry. Yep, absolutely. And you're part of the senior team at Bethel. Yep. What a lot of people don't know, although probably people do know because I hear you are always introduced, but you predate Bill Johnson at Bethel. At some level, I do. Uh, so, yeah, I've been there 25 years since 1991. Wow. And um, When did he, Bill join the team? I think he got there in 95 and maybe, you know, kind of said yes to the opportunity, then started in 96. That could be wrong. Sorry. Is that when Sorry, you boss, started if that's mentoring a, him then? Was no, no, no. 96. He started mentoring me. I was like, uh, <laughs> I have my seminary degree and I've been to church growth education at uh, Fuller Seminary and Bill coached me up pretty good. That's oh, good. Sure. That's good. <laughs> I had a plan to do a seeker-sensitive singles group nice. and Bill very gently said, uh, Dan, you can do that if you feel like the Lord's called you to, but I don't think that's where the church is going. He was talking to the church in general. He said, I think the church is just in, in for the days of the raw power of God being poured out on people, which was a far cry from the seeker-sensitive uh, you know, yes. thing I was like, I was heading towards. And um, so. what was your grid for the raw power of the Holy Spirit being poured out on people in oh, those I don't, days? I don't really know. I mean, lots of tongue talking, I imagine, would be part <laughs> of it. But, <laughs> I, you know, we'd seen like the move of God uh, hit uh, Stacy in West Campbell a little bit and watched Stacy prophesy you know, in a kind of a ecstatic place and yes. um, just, you know, be very powerful and per, uh, persuasive with the words. All the while her head was going back and forth and we're, we're like, we're watching this on videotapes. If some of you might need to Google what a videotape is, but uh, <laughs> we're like, wow, that's, uh, is that God? I, I, I hope it's not God. That's, um, that makes me uncomfortable just watching that. So uh, <laughs> I remember a friend of mine watching those videotapes and they said, if her head goes all the way around, we're out of here. <laughs> well, it was amazing that she could stand. 
Like, yeah. I just didn't know how she didn't fall over with her head whipping back and forth that fast. Yep, absolutely. And the sound stayed pretty true, I guess, yeah. when you're on the videotape. So you're like, I'm not sure how, that that, how that's working. Yeah. 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 So that was what Bill meant by the raw power of God. And, uh, you know, and many more things that, you know, we've, we're still seeing now. But, you know, he, he told me, like, you're, you're free to. Like, I had freedom to do it. But I, you know, was smart enough to kind of go, hmm. I think this guy knows something that I don't know. I think know. he's onto something. <laughs> yeah. And would I be right? If he arrived in 95, Bill and Benny would have been touched by what the Holy Spirit was doing up in Toronto at that yeah. point. Is that right? Yeah, they had been. Uh, they came into the interview. Our our church board, um, when our previous pastor left, our church board invited those of us that were on staff. It was only like five of us, you know, music pastor, family life pastor. I was doing singles. Uh, in college, and um, this is all at Bethel. Sorry to interrupt you. This is all at the, at the church, local church that we know as yeah, Bethel. At Bethel, Reading. okay. We we're about a church of two thousand at that point. Wow! And, uh, but it, it it had shrunk a little bit in our transition time, and then under our capable leadership of us, uh, without our, our previous pastor, there uh, we lost oh probably about three hundred people as well. And so mm-hmm. these are kind of estimates, but I'd imagine there's about eighteen hundred to seventeen hundred people that called Bethel home right when Bill was being interviewed. And um, they let us sit in on the meeting. I, I always thought it was very impressive of the board because in the, the tradition that I was from, it was kind of like when the baseball managers fired, the batting coaches fired, the pitching coaches fired, you know, right. the youth pastor. And, that, and so, you know, that's probably what we were in for. And, but they let us be in the, uh, in the interviews because they said, hey, you guys are leading the church. You're the fathers uh, of the church. So we'd love for you to be in there. So they let us uh, you know, be in on the interviews. And, it, you know, Bill had said, I've been ruined for anything but revival. The Lord had touched me like this in Weaverville. I didn't know how to steward it. I kind of just went back to my programs. And uh, he said, if you touch me like that again, I'll never change the subject. So I'm listening to that going, are you all listening to this? Because he's going to he's going to make this a weird place. Like, uh this is not going to be this nice. Had, had you guys been exposed been. to any of the Toronto stuff? Uh, at that just point? from uh, videotapes of watching uh, maybe <laughs> Rodney Howard Brown or right. actually uh, it was Rodney Howard Brown and some of those meetings and then some of the videotapes. And, and what was your thoughts? Oh, uh, horribly afraid. I mean, right. at some level, like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it was that thing like, is this God? I just don't know if it is. I, I don't. I've never seen this side of God. I'm uncomfortable with God. And right. And, um, you know, people like being stuck in places, you know, for hours or laying down <laughs> yep. in a parking lot or, you know, at restaurants, just being in the oil spill of a parking, you know, parking stall. You're like, well, oh, okay. I've never... Why would God I, do where that? Where is this yeah. in the Bible? You know, exactly. and some of those things. And so it was, uh, but the call of God was obviously on him, you know, even, even though we were like, I was hesitant. Like I would look around and go, you all are nodding your heads. Like, yes. Like, this is going to be great. I'm like, you realize we're going to lose a whole bunch of people. Like this is not normal. <laughs> right. And uh, so my, the, I actually thought to myself, he's going to wreck the church. Like uh, I, I, he's anointed. He's an amazing teacher. His kids love him. His family's thriving, but he's going to wreck this church. <laughs> and he did. And I heard that's what happened. Like half your people left. I would, I would say probably about half, you know, if we were, these are rough numbers again, but if we were around 1700, it felt it felt like we went down to about eight hundred or so, which is a far cry from. Yeah. Oh, we were the lampstand church. You know, we we were uh, the biggest church in town. We you know uh, we were doing things in the city. We we were classic, good quality church. We had an evangelist as a pastor who loved people. Was a fabulous teacher. We all were assigned that the model of growth there was: you grow a big youth group, you get a big choir, you get a you know big, uh, we'll get a big Christian school. And so we all just 
ran our ministries and, you know, didn't scare anybody, weren't too weird, but we still, you know, we still had our, we spoke in tongues and we could raise our hands in worship and a little dancing every once in a while. And, <laughs> Ooh. Uh, yeah, a little, well, we had one, we had one lady that uh, used to dance, uh, the whole congregation didn't, but one lady would, used to dance and she, we were kind of didn't know what to do with her. So she would dance and we kind of, we said, you could, if you must dance, go dance in the corner back there. So we'd have her dance at the farthest corner that we could in the church. <laughs> and uh, every once in a while, in the joy of the Lord, she would just dance up towards the front and our ushers in, in their maroon jackets would all like just gently kind corral her back, you know, like, hey, sister, we, you know, maybe that's your spot back there. So, you know, far cry mm. from the freedom and the joyous expression of worship that we, you know, uh, that Bill was uh, leading us in. So that was that was our one dancer. I, there was a prophetic word. I've heard Tompkins said, "I see a time when all the front is full of dancing and banners." And I remember being in the staff meeting, and we were, and I was, uh, we all were saying, "No, that's not going to happen." Like uh, <laughs> she is a tremendous prophet, but that's not us. You just, you know, like prophets are not batting a thousand all the time. Right, right, right. Yeah, she could there. be missing it. Yeah, She's yeah. missing there. Don't be so, discouraged. Keep trying, love. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But you know, sure enough, eighteen months later. There was this joyous praise, and so the Holy Spirit sh- begins to sh- presumably Bill gets the job. We did. I we, I hired him. Okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm kidding, boss. Yeah. So the day, uh, they said, "Come on along." <laughs> I love that you think that Bill listens to our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> sure. He's probably never going to. Where do you this? think he gets his best ideas? That's a, oh, <laughs> I, that was a joke too, boss. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I see I'm going to have to edit this podcast yes. very seriously in order for you to have job security. So Bill gets hired and his openness, his love of the presence of God and the Holy Spirit begins to change the shape and experience of your church services. And about 100, 800, 1,000 people leave. Yeah. How's everybody feeling at that moment? Well, I mean, uh, lots of different ways. Like, so the, the, the quality, you know, steady Eddie admin people were like, Oh, we can't. I'm not. We can't stay with this. This isn't great. Uh, financially, um, you know, even if folks were attending, maybe they weren't giving as a way of kind of saying we're not sure about this situation. Um, we, you know, our then the the our choir director who's just fabulous. You know, we were the church that had eight thousand people come in. You know, over eight Christmas programs, right. and so we'd have eight thousand people in the community come watch our program. He he says, I, I feel like the Lord's not going to have me lead a. Uh, a Christmas pageant this year. And I remember Bill saying, please, please don't kill that too. The, the, the congregation thinks I'm killing all these ministries. I actually <laughs> right. love them. Right. I love them. And I, you know, I don't want them to go away. So, but he felt like the, that, uh, that Mark had heard from the Lord and that. So he's like, okay, if you, if that's what you think we're supposed to do. Uh, so it, 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 and the Lord had told Bill go slowly the Lord and Bill's idea of going slowly was a little different than my idea of going slowly. <laughs> I'm like, that's slowly. But then he said that the Lord told him, okay, you know, you don't need to go as slowly anymore. And we went, you know, more aggressively into just free, you know, these sorts of things like, you know, people just wooing in church, you know, right. and uh, just shouting uh, uh, in church. I'd be like, what is going on? Like, that's, that's not, that's and are there manifestations? Are people falling over? Are people shaking? Are they laughing? There's, there's not a ton, you know, but like, remember, I think, I think Bill tells this story, but he was preaching one Sunday and holy laughter hit one person. The rest of the congregation wasn't touched or didn't join in. And, but Bill said in his heart, he knew like, all right, it started. We're on this adventure. 
And, uh, you know, I was probably thinking, like, how do we get rid of that guy and send an usher over there? So, uh... <laughs> so let's talk about your personal journey with that. So as the manifestations, as the presence of the Holy Spirit begins to, the tangible sense of his presence begins to rise and perhaps behavior, manifestations, outworkings of that are outside of your comfort zone. What, how are you feeling when, when that happens? Un- uncomfortable. Because you're they're outside well. the comfort zone. I mean, at some level, I, I just had not seen these sort of things. And we were losing people I really cared about. Oh. And the people that were in the church that had been, you know, kind of lifers were like, we just are not comfortable with this anymore. And, you know, in your head, if the Lord's in it, it's going to go smoothly. Of course. And everybody's right. going to agree. Of course, you look at scripture and it's, it doesn't go that way. But, um, you know, it's uncomfortable with the, the, the I don't know, the expression it, it was confusing to me. I guess it was confusing. I didn't like not being respected. Like the other churches in town were like, what's going on up there? Right. What have and you done? What have you done? Like you were the Lampstand Church and now, you know, you, you've you've lost all these people. They're kind of landing in a couple of other churches going, what's what's going on? And yeah. everybody's speaking rumors, no doubt. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, like, are you really sacrificing animals up there at the church? Like, no, that's <laughs> that's not actually true. So uh, <laughs> thanks for asking. <laughs> thanks for asking. But yes, you can rest assured uh, we're not doing that. So, you know, it was difficult to bear the stigma, you know, of and when it wasn't looking successful either. Right. And if you can just imagine, we have two full services of a thousand folks in the, in the, you know, on a Sunday morning, and we end up kind of collapsing down to one service that's, you know, about three quarters full. And that says, you know, you poured yourself into a place, seeing that happen, you're just disappointed. Sure. Right? I was disappointed. Sure. And confused about And you that. don't know what it's onto either. Because it's not like the yeah. Holy Spirit's like, no, Dan, relax. No, there's no model like, well, it's going to turn into this. Like, yeah. I'm like I, I had never been to Toronto. So, like, the idea of turning into Toronto was I, foreign. foreign to me and, mm-hmm. and not that interesting to me because I, I liked how it was. Right. You know, I liked it before. So, that was part of that process. Um, I, you know, I think in that season, Bill was... Um, uh, doing the best he could to explain. And I was kind of desperately, you know, thinking, you know, talking to the Lord, like, what is going on here? And uh, there was no expectation that you had to like get it all, like, uh, which I appreciated about about Bill. Like the first time I saw a fire tunnel, which for us is is instead of people lining up for prayer, which was spooky enough, at, you know, at some point when they would do that, you're like, <laughs> right. you're, we're going to take down the chairs and line up for prayer. What, what's what? All right. Then they're like, instead of that, we're going to actually, you know, put the prayer team on both sides of a tunnel kind of, and let people walk through. And, you know, they would get hit by the power of God or holy laughter or just, you know, just look silly. I, the first time I saw that happen in my own church on a Sunday night, I'm in the back going, uh, never, I'm never going near that. Like I have no <laughs> spot that work out for you? in my box. Uh, well, and I, you know, I appreciate Bill's graciousness. I, on, on staff being, I said, I was completely uncomfortable with that. Like I, there's way too much flesh, way too much. Uh, I don't know the motives of the people. I haven't seen that before. I, it's just extremely uncomfortable. So you are struggling. Yeah. And, and Bill's like, Dan, don't worry about it if you, you know, you don't have to figure this all out. Just I'm good with you and, you know, we'll figure it out. So, so I'm you, struggling. You clearly, so on the one hand, you are struggling with what you're seeing. It's outside your paradigm. Yeah. You have no grid for it, either biblically or yeah. practically. Mm-hmm. But it's clear, on the other hand, you have deep respect for Bill. It, yeah, exactly. And so you're like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I do trust you. Uh, God, would you help me? There's a, yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, going into you know the scripture and you begin to realize, yeah, scripture is actually pretty spooky as well. Lots of weird stuff happens in scripture <laughs> that we've totally like just go over like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and suddenly those things are coming alive and 
you know, just things as simple as the church, you know, deciding to not uh, have circumcision for the Gentiles. I mean, that's like classic breaking the Bible law there. Totally. And they're like, no, it's, we're changing that. And now, you know, Jesus, God appears in a, a sheet comes down out of heaven and, and that an angel says, go ask that guy at that guy's house and simultaneously, you know, the sheet, he has the vision and then there's the knock at the door and come preach to us. And, and then, well, that finally it ran into tongues that, you know, then the power of God fell and they began to, you know, uh, manifest the Holy spirit in Cornelius's house. And so you began to see like ah, lots of times there is an experiential gospel and lots of times the, in the Lord, when the Lord's doing a great thing, there have been profound experiences. And you realize the Quakers are called the Quakers for a reason. Yes. And the Shakers are called the Shakers for a reason. We're used to them being stoic, no fun people. Right. But they actually had this these manifestations before. So And the Pentecostals were called yeah. holy rollers yeah, for, for a reason. For a reason. <laughs> yeah. but, but again, like that was like I was always kind of smugly satisfied that I wasn't one of them. Yeah, like, right. you know, I was like a, a third waiver. You know, that was the name that uh, kind of uh, C. Peter Wagner had called it. It was the, the evangelical kind of gently coming into some of these more spiritual it's things. Evangelicism plus plus. Yeah. You were you know, we're slightly cooler. <laughs> uh, uh, we know uh, stuff uh, that you don't. Uh, totally. <laughs> so then what shifted for you? How how did you shift from just a uh mental ascent, you know, theological nod, I see that is in the Bible, to embracing it. Well, I mean, I was still having to preach to my singles every week. And so, and they were confused. Like, so I had this little mini congregation inside a larger congregation. And um, so, I'm I'm trying to sort through, you know, is, is this the Lord? And if so, how is this the Lord? You know, I came up with a bunch of dumb, you know, internal theologies. Luckily, I didn't teach. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but I remember, you know, one of them was like, "Okay, Lord, maybe this in the dry seasons of people's life, they they have." with their bare hands hewned out a cistern of, you know, a re- repository of the presence of God. And I have been lazy and have not dug out a cistern in the miry clay of a place to catch the move of God. And so they're <laughs> celebrating this outpouring that I'm unable to, uh, uh, how do you know that? <laughs> In other words, I wasn't, I didn't earn it. You know, I, had, I didn't work for it. So some of those things, uh, you know, bit by bit, I think, you know, my friend Banning was involved and we were trying to figure things out a little bit. And, uh, you know, people I had trusted were having experiences and, I, you know, I'd quiz them about that. Like was, okay, were you, could you've got up? I mean, I saw you fall down. Did you have to fall down? Or, uh, Dan, you know, this. so we just started really kind of interviewing people and trying to understand what, you know, what their experience was. And right. over time, over time, he probably, where I got to is realizing that it's, a, it's God and moving on a human. So it's always both flesh and the divine involved. And you're like, okay, so I, I, I shouldn't be like, I, I had to kind of give up being the flesh police. And uh, like kind of like, <laughs> is that, is that That's 99% God? Is that 90, 97% pure, uh, you know, Holy Spirit interaction? And I had to realize, you know, if it actually gets a place. If that's 5% God and 95% human, I'm actually good with the 5% that's of God that somebody's experiencing right. in wow. this particular move. And then, you know, later on, I can say now, like, that's actually how it is all the time, right? We have a, in the moment of generosity, there's a mixture of the divine moving on us. And when we preach, there's the moments when you feel like this, the Lord is speaking through me. And then there's, if you're like me, there's lots of moments when you, you're not quite sure he's speaking through you. You're doing <laughs> right. the best you can. You hope he's going to do something you're cooperating with, it. <laughs> with him as best you can. Be like, oh, you always love to co- fall on people and to do this together. And so I kind of, you know, got a little bit more comfortable with like that. It had to be fully divine. I mean, you had to be in a trance to give a prophetic word. Right. The, you know, uh, the idea that you could, if you prophesied, you have to prophesy perfectly or we're going to stone you. Right. Like this is 
This is clearly laid out in the Old Testament. So, it was moving a little bit and realizing, oh, that's not quite how prophecy works. They right. tested the spirits in the New Testament and, you know, they, so they, it's like, oh, you could have a wrong prophetic word that the church said, hey, you kind of missed that one and mm-hmm. we're doing something else. So, I, going to the Bible, I guess, was part of it. Seeing trusted people have experiences. And then ultimately, I don't remember really, I think it was like 12 months in or something like that. I got hit by the power of God. And at that point, I remember going, oh, 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 I'm so sorry, Heavenly Father. I didn't know this was so true. Wow. That was at a moment when that that intellectual guy is like, I could not figure it out, but then he touched me physically. And I'm like, oh, please forgive me. I didn't realize it was this true. And at some level, I was had a patronizing sort of like, I'm sure that's good for you. And uh, you, you, you likely did drugs previously. I've never right, done drugs myself. Right, you must myself. be slightly broken. Yes, you so must that's be slightly, exactly. Yeah. So the, you know, the Lord has understood <laughs> you and graciously hit you in, with ecstasy, which I don't need, I have faith. But uh, <laughs> so, but you know, after the experience, you're like, oh, oh, so that's what they're talking about. That, it made a lot more sense after an encounter, which I'm grateful to the Lord because I know some folks never are in our environment it. and don't have like a, a moment like that. And I, you know, I don't even tell them that they have to have a moment like that. I'm just like, but it is weird being what feels like the only sober person at a party. Yeah, and I love yeah. that you went through that questioning. That mm-hmm. you know, we come up with faulty theologies to explain our what we're not experiencing. And yes, I remember thinking, you know, do I have a pulse? Am I yeah. insane? <laughs> Repenting of everything I can think uh, of. But I, I love what you said at the end that you had this experience. I remember John Arnott once in a throwaway statement, he said, Alan, a healthy dose of experience does wonders for theology. Yeah. And I thought that, that's, he said, you know, Saul had really great theology until he got, you know, knocked to the ground, blinded by light. Absolutely. A healthy dose of experience does but wonders I love for the, um I love the, how do I say it? The gentleness, like that's not unequivocal because we, I would be nervous if you said experience is, all, is what you need, right? Because right. then you have another experience and your theology changes. Right. right. So I love how John said, it's a dose yeah, of experience it's wonderful. to the teaching of the church that the saints have experienced, you know, that, that Christ gave to us. And so I think having both of those together. It's amazing. Um, but every once in a while we got a little cavalier, like you're only one experience away from having a new theology. And I'm like, uh, I actually don't, I get what you're trying to say with right. that. Right. You're trying to invite people into, he, he's more than the God of your mind. So I get that, but I am uncomfortable with the implications of that. Right. And I'd recommend, no, which I actually said to a couple of my friends, like, I wish you'd quit saying that. I wish you'd, it'd be more nuanced. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> right. I could see how that's going to become one tweet away yeah, exactly. from heresy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was before tweeting. Just by the way, we're still in 97, 98, 2001. Wow. Yeah, oh, yeah. good. Good yeah, thing yeah. too, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> could you imagine live streaming that as that was happening? No. Okay. We'd have seven people in the church, so. <laughs> it is crazy to me, to, and it must be crazy to you, you must have to stop and think about what God has done in your church history. Does that does it occur to you that you guys are a revival center that is ministering to the nations through everything you're doing, through Bethel worship, through Bethel media, through your schools, through your mission? I mean, how many students do you send a year out on their outreach and missions trips? Oh, well, if there's about 2,000, there's about 2,300 first, second, and third year students. So, you know, some percentage, so 1,800 of them or so go yeah. out for 10 days. That's amazing. Two weeks and, you know, head all over the earth. Yeah. But, you know, between all the teaching, the schools, the books, you've... 
you've done a, a phenomenal job. Those, are just, those aren't all my books that you're talking about. <laughs> Thank you, yes. <laughs> to clarify. The millions of books you've Bill written, Bill and Dan. Chris and Danny write like crazy, and Paul Manwaring as well, but, yeah. But your whole team, I mean, you guys have done an Everybody amazing job. Yes. Of, <laughs> you've done an amazing job of resourcing the body. Did yeah. you ever... Th- did you ever consider that in in the early days? No, not in the early days. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm happy that the board didn't, you know, they, they stayed with Bill. Like it, when you go from, we've got a brand new sanctuary that with a bigger uh, mortgage than we've ever had to pay. And you go from two congregations to one. And, and yet they, um, they were nervous during that season and uh, we were poor during that season. There's about seven years when we were like, hey, don't spend any more money. We're, we're out of money. You know, and uh, uh, several times they had to hold our paychecks. Um, one time I remember one of the businessmen in our church actually took out a home equity line to pay our two-week salary uh, because the church, uh, you know, couldn't do it. And several times I was like, hey, wait till, could you guys wait till next Sunday if at all possible? Those of us that were living check to check, it was like, we'll, we'll do something. Chris talks about how, you know, there's, these are the 90 days do, these are the 60 days, these are the 30 days in figuring out how we're going to pay people. So we did not feel like a worldwide apostolic sending center, you know, in, in those days. And uh, Steve DeSilva, who was our comp controller at the time, he said, it used to, since there was no money to count, he would actually just go over to the prayer house and just hold the books before the Lord and say, Lord, you have to come through here. We, we can't do these things. But this is the thing I love. I, I love all of this. I love, you know, from I'm more familiar with Toronto's history than I am Bethel's history, but I, I just love that people jump into a point in time and then begin to make assumptions about what they know of you from now. Yeah, yeah. And, and are completely unaware of the history of how you got wh- where you are. Yeah. Or what it cost you. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember hearing a story that Bill had caught wind of the fact because of the financial situation that missionaries that you guys supported, you were going to have to withhold their... Yeah, it's just that in our wisdom, when our previous pastor left, that we thought, you know what, we can't really afford this. We can't afford to pay our missionaries. So during that nine months before Bill came, we had decided in the great wisdom of the Lord and our giant faith that we would write a, a very polite letter to our missionaries that we would not be able to support them for several months, but we would look forward to supporting them in the future. And they hadn't done anything wrong, uh, but we're, you know, we're, we're totally good with you. We just don't have the money. And Bill, like somewhere again, again, this is a long time ago, and we never bothered to write it down because you don't, Cause you it don't looked, think this is going to be Because it looked important. like he was going to get fired and we were going <laughs> to... <laughs> so um, he he kind of said to us, and there's only five of us though, he said, uh, I um, understand that you guys have stopped supporting the missionaries. I just found that out. And we're like, yeah, it's just, you know, could, we can afford it. And he's like, oh, you know, that's, that's not all right. Like we're going to, we'll do whatever it takes, including us not drawing a salary in order to pay them back immediately all that, that we've, we've held over the four months or five months or something, whatever it had been. And he said, um, and we're going to ask, we're going to ask their forgiveness and write them an apology letter. And then that is unequivocal. We are not, that is a bill we will never, we'll pay, we'll not pay other people, but it's not going to happen to our missionaries. And so it, w- it was a very interesting moment where it seemed smart at the time that we made that decision. <laughs> like, yeah, it's hard to do, but yes, um, you know, frankly, it wasn't that hard to do. These are strangers on the other side of the world at some level, you know, right. like, you know, I, I'd like to say now it was hard to do, but just I'm not sure I actually felt the burden or the weight <laughs> of it when we were doing it. Uh, please forgive me, Lord and missionaries. Uh, so they, um, so he, <laughs> he restores, you know, he, he, 
he uh, sends that to them. And, and as soon as he says it, it feels like, of course, you know, that's right. one of those things where, you know, I've got a Bible degree and I got a, a master's of divinity and, you know, you think you're making great choices. And he's like, no, no, we don't, we don't send people to battle and pull back from them. And you're like, yeah, yeah sorry. That was bad. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but it was that sort of integrity, right? So when he's, you know, when spooky stuff's happening in church and he's okay with it, you're like, oh, the guy corrected me pretty gently. And that was, and, you know, in the moment, I knew he was super right. And I'm like, oh, there's something to this guy. So here's something I've always been fascinated to know. I know that God is super intentional. I know that he does nothing without telling the prophets first. And so you're describing to us what Bethel, the local church, looked like. How many years are we talking about? 20, 20, 30 years ago. And now Bethel, the church, is this resource center for the world, just with tremendous significance. There's churches around the world who, and I always get a giggle at this, would probably maybe not even agree with some of Bethel's theology, no. but love Bethel's worship. That's inconceivable. And, and, and aren't aware of where this incredible anointed music came from. You know, there's, yeah. there's stuff like yeah. that. You're impacting the nations in a tremendous degree. My question is, what was the mindset shift that had to take place in the lives of the individual leaders and the corporate sense to come into agreement with God saying, hey, you think of yourself as a local church with local influence, but you're actually an apostolic resource center for the world. Talk to me about that. How did that happen? Yeah, I, that's, um, you know, there's not one decision or one moment. There's like a thousand moments in that. I think that um, Bill's spoken about this, that he used to preach when he was in Weaverville. So, Reading has about 100,000 people, you know, around. And then we're the biggest thing for two and a half hours, you know, either way. Um, and Bill was up in about an hour and a half up into the mountains at a ch- town of 3,000 people. And he had about 200 people in the church or so. So, Size, you know, size-wise, percentage-wise, he had a large amount of the town in his church. But he was there for 17 years, and he used to preach them like, you guys are touching the world. Um, that you know, he, They had sent people to China to minister in China. They had a, um, a ministry to the orphans in Mexico. And so he expected, he would t- talk to them like they were leaders that were going to impact the world. And uh, and he has, I think he has a book about the, uh, it's the center of the universe. He used to call Weaverville the center of the universe. And um and he would write weekly in their bulletin. He and as he was kind of learning the craft of writing and trying to honor the Lord's calling to write, you know, I don't think he'd written a book till he's fifty or so, which like gives me great hope. <laughs> Being such a young man as I am, but the uh, it's a spring you know, chicken, yeah. So he would he began to he he always kind of internally. I don't know if he had this idea of this. It would be this big, but he had the idea that God was this big, and that the people of God should set their sights on this level of impact. And then, you know, his, his right-hand person, Chris Valentin, who's my boss, and uh, I love him too. He, Chris has, owns a part store, and um, Dick Joyce, a prophet, prophesies him, says, behold, you know, a pillar in the house of the Lord. The Lord talks to Chris uh, at one season, says, you're going to stand before leaders and government officials. And so, there's this idea that they have that it took, it's, you know, been taking 30 years to come to pass, but the Lord had been speaking to the, them prophetically about uh, what they would be doing. And Bill's teaching gift was always amazing. Like even when I was afraid of what he would, the move of the Holy Spirit he was championing, he was preaching out of Daniel and it was rocking me as I listened on the 
cassette tapes uh, <gasps> in my car. Yes, which, by the way, I still have a cassette recorder in my car. That's impressive. Yeah, it's the only way I can get my so radio to actually turn on, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> I have to put a cassette tape in, hit eject, and then my radio will work. But uh, Wow, yeah. that's fancy. Oh, yeah. It's fancy. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, right not many there. people have yeah. things like that. <laughs> So, um, so it's in, it's been in him, but I don't think we saw what was going to be happening in the same degree. People, remember we, we were kind of beginning to believe that apostles were still for today. We were not even totally sure of that. And, and then people, other ministers were around Bill going, we think you're an apostle and Bill's like, ah, you know, I don't, he was slow in coming to that. Uh, he's, he's always never, he's never wanted to call himself that. And felt like if the gifts and call of God were there, the church would recognize that at some level. And we're not, you know, again, it's, we just call him Bill and, you know, some folks, Pastor Bill, and he's much more Apostle Bill, but, you know, Pastor Bill fits better. So he, he had a growing sense why we were, we had to kind of relook at scripture and go, our apostles for today, you know, right. and, and sort that out. And when you answer like, yes, and then we think prophets are for today and that um, they should be, you know, deeply involved and, and maybe not the pastors and leaders, I'm sorry, the pastors and teachers leading the church, but the apostles and prophets leading the church. It was like, there was partly that switch. So some flexibility there was was part of it. People loved listening to him. And early on, it was like some we, a prophetic word came that said, we needed to let Bill travel and he needs to be sewn into the church uh, nationally. And um, again, that's hard to do when you're shrinking and your senior pastor's not in there on a Sunday and somebody else is having to cover. And there's a thing where the board would be like, what are we paying you for? And our board didn't do that, but it'd be natural for boards to do right. that. And um, it'd be natural for the people to do that. But the prophetic word is like, you need to sow him. And so we're like, okay, you know, um, we'll figure that out. At, at some level as a congregant, didn't feel like they had much choice about that. Like he wasn't asking permission. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, so he was traveling more and then he was bringing people in and, uh, you know, that we're carrying the anointing. And during that season, we learned to to value the anointing, even if the, the person uh, was had some rough edges or it was difficult to appreciate parts of what they were doing. And, um, you know, I, I had a I had a very much a mindset that the, that the shepherd, the, the pastor protected the sheep. I remember the Sunday one speaker was there and I'm like, I, you know, I was just uncomfortable by the guy preaching a 45 minute offering message. Like I'm like, and then taking his own offering. I didn't, I didn't know I had a rule against that, but as soon as he did it, I went, oh yeah, yeah. You don't, if you're going to preach for 45 minutes, you should not take your own offering. That's my evangelical rule. So then I'm looking at Bill, like Bill, get up and kick that man off stage. Like what, you know, what are you going to do? Like, get up, go get him, get, get the hook. I grew up in an environment where the pastor had no problem going and getting the hook you right. know, and actually walk him on stage said, uh, my brother, sit down, please. And then, you know, we're going to reteach or fix something that happened. But Bill was uh, very much like, I won't be offended by um, the container the anointing comes in and I won't bring somebody in and try to control them. Um, I, I'm going to trust my sheep to be able to figure out what the good parts are and what the bad parts are. And um, and then he, he would not the next Sunday kind of clean up a mess either. It was like, I would have been so like, let's talk about last Sunday. Right. But Bill's like, no. It'll be fine. And he was okay with us having private conversations. And, and when people would come, he didn't like, you know, mandate, listen, just, you know, this is what you say. He, it was just like, this is, we'll just work this out as a family. When we got this 70% great message and 30%, that, that wasn't so great. So that, some, that was part of some of our flexibility so that was growing in. You talk so casually about the ease of this. Was there never any doubt? Was there never any wrestle? Was there never any 
I, I had doubt and wrestle. Mm-hmm. I, I think that um, Bill didn't. Bill uh, talks about this. Like he knew that the Lord had called, um, that the Lord was in these manifestations and that it was a revival of joy. That we had revivals based on hunger or something else, but he's a, it's a revival of joy and grace. The Lord is in this. And so he moved with great assurance in these things, a little more than I was comfortable with. I, I mean, I wanted to, I'm used to a little bit of human doubt in there a little bit and uh like Feels good, i would have felt it? a little bit more like acceptable but um but he you know he was resolved and he knew papa was in it and uh, uh i i think that one of the interesting things about working with bill is i i'm working for a guy who doesn't have a classical education in christian education you know he's he's a fifth generation pastor he's grown up in the school of faith not the school of western culture and what you know and I, I love my education, but I'm, I think sometimes we are schooled in doubt, even in Bible college and in seminary, sure. instead of being schooled in faith, like here's how to operate in faith and here's how to, you know, what faith actually looks like. And this is how we press into faith. You know, I didn't have a lot of that. I was like, what was Augustine's position on this? Or, you know, uh, what, you know, what were the successful parts of Luther's, uh, you know, Reformation and what are the unsuccessful parts? And so we talk a lot about, and then sometimes it's like, well, all that is in the spiritual formation department you know, of your education. And so I think in being with Bill, I have a guy who hangs out with Jesus, who recognizes the presence of the Lord, who's been walking this road for a long time. And he's taught me a ton about a faith and being a follower and, and um, letting be, you know, uh, abiding in the Lord and walking with him into the things that are ahead for you. That's amazing. Yeah. I asked Danny the same question. Danny Silk was here last year and I asked Danny the same question and he gave me exactly the same answer. And I don't know whether I was looking for something more. I think I was like, no, please, please to identify with struggle. Tell me the, you know, but you're like, no, we just believed. And I was like, oh, oh, I'm sure there's something in the Bible about that. Yeah, yeah, there's faith. And I think there's there, was, there was fruit as well in the sense of the, the quality of relationships. I, and then when Bill and Chris and Kathy and, and Danny and Sherry were in our life, you could see the quality of covenant love that was there. And um, these folks that run, would laugh together very hard, who'd gone through just crazy situations in their mountain town, who had crazy stories about each other. There was a, a real deep affection of folks who'd walked together for a lot, a lot of years. And um, I often talk about like the part of the secret of Bethel is this at the core with Charlie Harper and Julie Harper, some other folks, there is this radioactive core of covenant friendship that is, you know, emanates like in a nuclear reactor, just wow. kind of feeding the whole environment. So there's a, you know, a, th- there's a settledness about these long-term relationships. And even, you know, with uh, Eric and, and uh, Brian kind of coming up into their ministry within that, there's this network of affection and shared history that beats at the center of what we're doing. One of my favorite things that Danny did when he was here was he showed his wedding video. Yes. And, you know, so here's this oh, yeah, that was video awesome. that presents these world changers in a fairly unflattering light. Yes. He's like, look I'm at not this sure video. Chris and Bill know he's showing that to me. <laughs> Danny's a bit scandalous from time to time. <laughs> he's like, would you, would you ever have thought that this room full of somewhat socially awkward people would ever be world changers? I'll, I'll tell him you said that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm quoting. But I, 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 so I, there's something so endearing about that story. And I love dropping in where we are right now and looking backwards. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of people 
drop in and look at what you're doing now and go, oh, if I do what you're doing now, I'll get what you have. And yeah. you're like, no, you have to do what they did for 20 plus years. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of investment, a lot of, of sewing and, and, um, way way ahead of the fact and we were learning on the fly so hopefully you don't have to make all the mistakes that we made but there will be some uh, some price to pay some you mm-hmm. have to kind of learn some some things and we don't think you, there's a formula to follow obviously but it has been about following the presence of the lord and early on i i asked bill like hey we need a mission statement and bill's like i don't want a mission statement that's going to sit in a file cabinet like i'm not interested dan and i'm like um what I'm trying to give people context for why they should stay at this church and why they should come here and what we're doing because it's pretty <laughs> strange. You know, you roll in, you don't know what's happening. A lot of our steady eddies had left our, you know, the ushers were, de- it was just all different, you know? Uh, you know, one morning, this was no lie during a joyful worship. We had a guy do backflips across the front of the sanctuary. So, you know, just he's up there and he did them quite well, you know, Got a lot of height on that. I give him a 10. All the pastors held up. But I remember that happened. I was just so uh, uh, frustrated with that. I was like, what? Are we doing backflips in church now? Tell me no. So I look at, I shoot Bill a look and Bill kind of looks at me and cocks his head to the side like, well, that's, you don't see that on church every day. And I'm like, yeah, you don't because it's terrible. You know, that's, that's the, my, what my eyes said back to him. And, uh, and, and so but I'm trying to follow the lead of my, um, my pastor. So I, I kind of walk over. I was sitting a little bit away from him. I said, are we, are we all right with these backflips? And I remember Bill said, well, I don't know. Uh, um, and I think he told the guy, just do it one more time. If you if you feel led of the Lord, you, you can do it one more time. <laughs> so he did the backflips one more time, and then we're like, okay, let's not do that anymore. It, it was and that time this the, the town had already thought you guys are a circus up there, and I'm like, yep, it's happened. It's it's a circus. All we need is the snakes to bring in the snakes, and uh, <laughs> we have our acrobat. <laughs> but that's that's part of that. Um, you know, that his uh, wanting to follow the presence. So we're working on this mission statement. And I said, uh, you know, he, he, we had a bunch of goes at it and we're writing it. It was like, oh, we're just, you know, we're, it's the advancing of the kingdom personally, regionally and globally through his manifest presence. And so it's revival. So this idea of the manifest presence, of the Lord kind of became very central. Mm. And then one of the, the, you know, we would, we would, our shorthand was, uh, uh, you know, revival through his presence and then revival through the local church. So that's always been in Bill's heart that, that the local church would be the source of revival, not even Bethel, you know, not Toronto, but the local congregation would have, would find its expression that's unique to them. And then it would bring the kingdom yeah, in its environment. That's so good. Gosh, I love that. That's amazing. Thank you for taking us a trip down memory lane. We've had the privilege of having you at our school for the last five years. Is that right? Five yeah. years. We bring you in every year to teach on this whole topic of brave communication. You're, you're consistently rated as one of our crowd favorites. And the whole message <laughs> of brave communication has been super powerful for our culture at Grace Learn. Give us a, you know, a 30,000 foot view of brave communication. Yeah, it's a set of tools I learned in my 20s that I didn't have before. So they were kind of, re- they were revolutionary for me. It's like, wow, I could actually learn communication skills. Uh, I thought you were just stuck with them. Uh, right. The ones you learned in the home you grew up in. And it was uh, kind of the way I say it now is it's, it's the capacity. Can you actually hear somebody else's heart? Can you, do you know your own heart and can you share your heart? And then with that information, create a new normal going forward. And so 
these are tools to help you in, in lots of us just withdraw. If something goes weird, we're just with, we withdraw or we attack. Those are the only two tools we have <laughs> and, um, you know, fight or flight. And we fall into these, these ongoing, you know, traps in this area. So brave communication is a way to, you know, hear somebody else and then actually know what's going on with you emotionally. I, I think that our emotions are powerfully involved in our communication. We tend to, we imagine that it's mostly information, that the world moves on information and that's what's the most important. And if you just had the right ideas, you would agree with me and it actually doesn't function that way. Our our, our emotional world is is central to our communication. And so we talk a lot about how to like understand that emotional world and then use that to build intimacy in the moment of crisis. And I'm hoping that you don't have to have the talk with people um, and, but you can have a lots of small conversations and make adjustments as you create your relationship along the way. Uh, so that would be the, you know, the goal of it is to actually build intimacy and connection, uh, uh, in the time of crisis. You don't use it all the time. It's just when you have strong emotions or they have strong emotions, you know, when, when we're problem solving and when there's confusion, these are just simple tools to use. And where did you learn them? You said you learned them in your, your 20s, but where yeah. did you learn them? And you've clearly refined them over the years as yeah, well. They've grown. I mean, they became so handy to me. I remember as a, I was 24, I think I was going to be a camp counselor uh, um, at Redwood Camp in, uh, outside Santa Cruz in California. And uh, they, they were simply, you know, these skills of reflective listening, active listening, and I message about how much, how much it warms the human heart to be listened to. And um, it was like, wow, why, why haven't I learned these things? Like this would have been so helpful when I was a junior high pastor, you know, and when I, because uh, I was, you know, through my, my Bible college years, I was uh, also a junior high pastor, just even in dating or going through conflicts. And, and then over time, I, I think I learned more about emotions. And so that's kind of come into the, uh, come into the discussion a little bit more, but that's where I learned them. It's just, they, they want us to know how to relate to junior high and elementary kids without controlling them and without running them over. How do we listen more conversation? And it turns out those are good skills for all humans, not just small children. (laughs) Absolutely. I think one of the things that I've loved hearing you share uh, in your preamble, in your setup, when you come in, you teach, you, you talk about feeling like a ninja. Like I've got some tools in my back pocket that I don't need to let anxiety grip my heart when I sense conflict is coming. Yeah. And it's not that, ha ha, I can outsmart you, but it's that, that piece going Actually, I'm not scared of the conflict that can come because I'm going to be really good at listening to the message behind the message. Yeah. And I feel confident that I've got some good skills to make my heart known. And and actually, I've got some confidence that we're going to get through this. And that just lowers the anxiety considerably in relationships. Absolutely. And I love what you teach that, hey, when I teach you these skills, the skills at first will feel artificial. Mm-hmm. But the more you practice them that become second nature to you. Absolutely. What have you seen happen in your own culture as you've been teaching the people in your own environment these these skills? Well, they don't they don't need to run from difficult conversations. You know, they right. they can and they can nobody's um, you know, caught off guard like why are you speaking to me this way or you know, what are you what why would you say that to me? You know, so it's, it's, um, I think it, it goes alongside with our, the culture of honor we've talked about is that uh, we, as best we can, as it it depends on us, we are going to act in honor towards people and honor can sometimes be, you know, an ethereal, you know, just kind of a concept. But I think that this brave communication where you're listening to somebody's heart and sharing your own is actually like the, a tangible way to say, and my honor and my love is going to be manifest this way. 
And when you do, when you are prepared, you feel more confidence. And if you come to the con- the moment of crisis in the relationship, uh, or a moment of just, hey, we need to create a new normal. It's not a crisis. It's just there's some wear and tear. Like we're not quite thriving, or at least I'm not thriving. When you have some tools, you you come with the playfulness and hopefulness that we're going to get through this. I don't mean to catch you off guard, uh, but there's some things I'd like to sort out. So if we can find a new way forward, so. That's how they function. It was either we heard Danny say it was in Danny's book, A Culture of Honor, where he talked about a culture of honor will never actually come into play without a healthy culture of confrontation. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we, we end up avoiding it. Like right. some people mistake and think we do honor and you get in their environment and their culture, like you guys just don't tell each other the truth. You, right. You, you, some of you won't even give yourselves an opinion because you are, don't feel allowed to because honor says you can't say anything. And we're like, that's not how it functions. No. That's not how honor works at all. It, it's not a culture of honor if all I do is tell you you're awesome. Hey, totally. <laughs> well, it's not real, is it? <laughs> totally, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and confrontation used to be a really scary word. Mm-hmm. But we talk about confrontation with a small C. Yeah. That it's, yeah. it's a really healthy thing. Like, I love you enough and value our relationship enough to let you in on the stuff that is degrading my quality of connection. Yeah, not to, to not abandon you, just like to continue to put up and put up until I disappear or I make you disappear or right. I blow up. So it's like, let's work this out now. At dinner tonight, you, you had this great phrase where you talked about, you know, healthy maturity allows us to disagree without divorce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you had this other thing. Talk a little bit about the importance of feelings. At the, you know, at dinner, you were you were talking about Sometimes we think that other people's emotions are getting in the way of the content. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. When, when I say somebody's value to me, that they're they're having a genuine emotion about a situation. We're talking about the election. Like there's folks who have it on, right. on, on different sides of the election and they are very uh, frustrated with the emotional response they're seeing. And it's even easy to just kind of wash your hands of it and go, well, I just don't, you know, we just don't get each other or all these, you know, whatever we want to do to kind of solidify our own viewpoint. But because uh, folks on the other side of these, uh, the, the election results on whichever side, because they matter, because we love people as Christians, their emotional world has to matter. Even if we don't quite understand it, but because I value you, I value the, the experience that you're having in your emotional world. And I'm going to try to understand it as best I can uh, and, and be gracious with it while, while knowing I don't, I'm not, it's not necessary that we completely agree with the level, the intensity or even the nature of the emotion. Right. But we can have a discussion. I don't want to just tell people like, hey, stop doing that. Just grow up, man up, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to give people, um, part of the conversation will be not just, here, let me give you a set of ideas and you won't feel that way anymore because it actually doesn't work that way. No. So you prioritize connection and then sometimes connection builds a pathway for content. But if there's not a connection, then the content falls on deaf ears oftentimes. Some of the stuff that we've heard that's close to this, its goal is to make the bad feelings go away. Yeah. It's to minimize <laughs> Solve it. this as quickly as possible. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and get me back to feeling safe. Yeah. Um, where you've really taught us not to feel fearful and distress mm-hmm. and to give us tools to communicate our hearts really, really well. There's, there's two resources I really want our listeners to know about. The first is your DVD or MP3 or CD set. You get it in three different flavors at Bethel's resource store called Brave Communication, which is how I actually first got introduced to you, which is how we ended up getting connected. Uh, it is, it is, it's a brilliant overview. It's, it's three sessions, and in the first two sessions, you cover a lot of the Brave Communication material. You've expanded over the years, but it's excellent. The last session is you and Banning 
talking backwards and forwards, unpacking in real-time conversation mm-hmm. some of the stuff you've already taught. It was a podcast before podcasts were invented. And it's great. Yes, yeah. You're ahead of your time. Yes. You really were. I'll put a link in the show notes. If you haven't heard this teaching, guys, I, I can't recommend it enough. It's It's been pivotal for our culture and our community here at Grace Center. It's something we teach all of our students. And it's something that's really helped AG and I in our marriage and also as leaders with our staff. So I really want to recommend that. Thank you. And then you have a book coming out in May? Yes. It, Talk to us about the book. It It is like... As we were doing the School of Supernatural Ministry, because it's just been such a blessing, it's grown over the 18 years from 36 students to 2,300 students. Unbelievable. And um, the, it, just a wonderful privilege before the Lord to have these amazing people say, I'm going to lay down my life for a year and come and, and be trained in this environment. Yeah. So uh, it's almost too good to be true. But we realized that a lot of was being caught in our, in our environment, which is wonderful. But also the students couldn't quite articulate. It's so content heavy, you know, as well as uh, joyful and as well as there's a great deal of momentum and affection in the environment. But it would be a little bit difficult to go, you know, you go home to your senior pastor, like, what do you learn at that school? And like, uh, you know, I, it was just hard for them to articulate. So we, we thought we're going to lay these out in just simple core values. And so this is one of the things that we, it's kind of gleaning the best of what Bill and Chris and Danny and Paul have been teaching you, you and it's been scattered through our worship songs and our books and our sermons in our various schools. We try to gather some of the essence in one place, make them really accessible. So it's like 13 different studies that you can journal through or use as a curriculum, use as a sermon starter. There's probably 52 weeks of sermons you know, wow. in here when you kind of, if you take each of the ideas and begin to read and study the scriptures on your own, look for your own testimonies and break through there. And I think also a framework for thinking up some of the big systemic problems in our in our environment. So it's got the core values. Number one, God is good. Number two is our salvation creates a joyful identity. I didn't really have the idea that salvation created identity. I thought it just saved me from sin, let alone a joyful identity. Right. That's now because I shake, rattle, and roll. So that's the joy component <laughs> of it. <laughs> and then that we're responsive to grace. You know, that the grace is a power to be transformed by God as well as his undeserved love. And, that, that we, you know, part of the church is creating healthy families, focusing on his presence, um, and just more and more, 13 of those different core values. Wow. So it's a chance to you know, kind of have a thumbnail sketch of the incredible amount of content we, we pour out. That's brilliant. The environment. What's the name of the book? Kingdom Culture, Living the Values that Disciple the Nations. Sounds amazing. I'll, wow. I'll try Sounds and find great. the link. If it's not available yet, maybe there's a pre-order page. I'll put a link in the show notes and then I'll remind people when it comes thank out you. as well. Dan, thank you so much for coming and being on the podcast. It's been a huge privilege. It's a huge privilege just to get to know you and have you come out every year for the last five years it's we really look forward to it but yeah. but thank you it's so fun for them to get to hear from you so absolutely my pleasure i yeah. enjoy my time out here so much and dan i agree with aj thank you so much for being with us not only at the school but also in our podcast i'm wondering if i could ask you to pray and bless our listeners and then we'll release you yeah i'd love to so heavenly father that's exactly who you are you are our heavenly daddy and you've given us identity you've graciously brought us into your family you teach us your ways and how to be part of your family. And not only that, you give us grace to be able to cooperate with you and to help build the kingdom with you. So I'd ask for that grace to be poured out on all those that are listening and that there would be a, in their um, inmost being, there would be a power loosed to be able to follow your spirit, enjoy your presence and to bring the kingdom to wherever they have a place of influence. And I bless them in the name of the Lord. Amen.
Amen. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games. Paleo donuts and the kindness of God are things we deal with every day. From Franklin, Tennessee, they are just like you and me. If you are a human being, there's something here for everyone. 